So, the series is Mountaintop Wisdom, right? Salmon on the Mount. Yeah, but we call it Mountaintop. However, as we go through the, the sections in the, in the passage, we, we, we bring um, like an emphasis, right? And we've been looking at, we start with the blessed people, right? And then we looked at the righteousness of the kingdom. Now, but then that's taking about two weeks, and this is the third week on that. And under that, we've had subtitles. I know it's a bit complex, right? So, do you understand what I'm trying to say now? So, the, over, the overall series is Mountaintop Wisdom. So, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And then we've, we've looked at the blessed people. So, the first few verses, 1 to 10. And then we've started looking at the righteousness of the kingdom. Uh, under that, we have... You know, looked at, we've done two weeks, and today we're looking at um, the third. So last week, I titled last week, the, Your Heart Matters, right? Our Heart Matters. And today, I've titled it, Loving Like Jesus. But it's still under the righteousness. Yeah, it's still, it's a top subtitle, under the title, Righteousness of the Kingdom, under the series, Mountaintop. Yeah? Have I recovered you now? Are you still, are you, are you in line now? Yeah. Cool. Okay, so today um, we're going to be looking at, so I said there are, Jesus gave a principle in verse 20 of Matthew 5, and what's the principle? Verse 20, <laughs> what's the principle that Jesus gave about the righteousness of the kingdom? Verse 20, anybody? your righteousness surpasses that of the and teachers of the law you cannot okay so Jesus is establishing righteousness in this kingdom and he's saying that well it must surpass that of the Pharisees right so that's the principle now he, he started to give illustrations to unpack that principle in verse 20 right and we looked at I said there are six of them we've looked at two last Sunday, what two did we look at last Sunday? Anger. We looked at... Anger. Mm, yes, we talked about anger, but murder, right? We looked at murder. And uh, Jesus said, well, anger is equal to murder because anger is danger, right? Um, when you have uncontrolled anger, that's where murder starts from. And you don't have to physically kill someone if you have anger in your heart, you are on a downward slope to actual murder. And that the fact that you've not physically committed murder does not free you from abhorring that thought in your heart. Right? Um, bring me this slide on the recap. Okay, and then we looked at which other one again? We looked at another illustration last week. Which one was it? Adultery. Right? Okay. So today I'm going to look at two more illustrations and I'll allow you to do the remaining two. Right? Uh, because of our time. We don't have the time to fully unpack everything. Okay. So just a quick recap. We looked at one principle, six illustrations. We looked at illustrations one and two, murder and adultery. And then our emphasis last week was that the heart matters because it controls our lives, because God looks at the heart, right? So you can't just say, because I've not physically done the act, I'm exonerated, I'm free. 
God is saying beyond the physical act itself, your heart is also important. And also because if you don't take care of your heart, it's a matter of time you eventually do the physical heart. Yeah? And then we talked about um, the action matters as well, right? So we're not saying, oh, it's the heart, so the action does not matter. And then that's where we said you must be aware of the wrong conclusion. So you cannot say, uh, because I've taught it in my heart, I can as well do it. Right, And then we said that's a wrong conclusion to arrive at based on what Jesus is saying uh, because technically all thinking it in your heart and acting it do not have the same consequence. Right? And then we talked about the degrees of sin and gradation of sin. Um, I couldn't unpack that very well. We looked at it a little bit more in, uh, in Connect, but I would encourage you to look into that more on a personal level. Um, all sins are sins, and all sins are punishable. But in scripture and in life, sins don't have the same consequences. Yeah? And that's why I give an example. You don't get um, life sentence for stealing a loaf of bread. Right? And then you don't get 100 and a half fine for killing someone. Yeah? And so you cannot say, because I've thought it, I can, as well do, I can as well do it, because thinking it, yes, is wrong, but it's not on the same level as actually doing it. Even from perspective of the effect it has on you and whoever is a partner in the crime, the consequence is different. If I thought of killing someone in my mind, the person is still alive, right? But if I actually kill the person, this person is dead. And a policeman or a judge will not sentence me to life imprisonment or to life sentence for thinking it in my mind. But what Jesus is saying is that beyond your outer court, there is a judge overall that sees not just the act, but the act as well. So we said we should be aware of the wrong conclusion. And then we looked at the purpose of the law, which was to lead us to Christ, the fact that we could not obey the law by ourselves, that Jesus seemed to be raising the bar to say that there is a righteousness that must be given to us as a gift, and that righteousness which is given as a gift must then be lived out from inside out. And we said that now we're no longer under the law. We try to reconcile. We're no longer under the law with Jesus saying, I have not come to abolish the law, right? And we said that, yes, the law of God still stands because he's a righteous God. It was only in the Old Testament. He is only now. It remains only, right? So the fact that Jesus has come and fulfilled the law on our behalf does not mean we have now become lawless people. As a matter of fact, what he's done is he's moved the location of God's law from an external code to an internal code. So now the laws of God are written in our hearts, and God expects us as we walk in the Spirit to live out those righteousness that God demands. Yeah? So that's where we are. So today, let's... Um, look at two more of uh, the illustrations that Jesus gave. So today I'm going to um, I'm going to approach it um, using three basic um, should I say just go to the side on approach. Um, so I, I, would, I, would, I would use um, Three outlines, basically, to approach each of the illustrations that I want to um, talk to us about. And this is the same principle, you know, for the first two. And that's what Jesus Christ um, is trying to make us see. So the first is to look at the principle of the law. 
Again, Jesus, as the ultimate rabbi, was coming to fill in the gaps in the understanding of the Jews and the Pharisees and to correct their misinterpretation of God's law. Right? You know, we said our scriptures are inspired by the Spirit of God and that Jesus Christ did not come to say, to set himself against the God of the Old Testament as though God has changed. And Jesus was only challenging their misunderstanding and misinterpretation of what God has said. They ran away with the letter, but missed the spirit of the law. And so they, they, they perverted it, so to speak, and they were doing it just as, an, as a tick box exercise. And their heart was not involved. And Jesus came and said, well, I want to realign you to the principle of the law, the spirit of the what God was trying to say when he gave the law. And then we look at the perversion of the Jews, right? How they got to where they are. And then, of course, the perspective of Jesus. What Jesus is now saying. You have heard, but I say unto you. Yeah? You see that that's going on in there. So that's what we'll, we'll do in that. And then one appeal I want to make on that is that we're going to, some of this we're going to look at today. I don't want you to think about what it is not saying. I want you to think about what it is saying. And that's my focus. So I'm not going to try to balance anything. Are you getting me? You know, one of the challenges we have as humans is when the when God comes to us and gives us an encouragement, we are quick to say, but he's not saying, right? Because for me, as much as it is important for us to know the extreme that he's not saying, I think the spirit of obedience, first and foremost, embraces what it is saying, right? Before we excuse ourselves based on what we think it is not saying. Do you understand? So Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the left. Now, in your mind, you're like, he's not saying that. Let's leave what he's not saying. Let's understand what he's saying and seek to obey what he's saying first. Are we good? All right, so the, let's go to the um, illustrations five then, which is um, what we see here. And so let's go back to our text very quickly. Matthew chapter 5. So we'll look at revenge. So that's another illustration Jesus Christ is giving to unpack what he meant by the righteousness of the kingdom and that that righteousness must surpass out of the Pharisee. And we looked at the righteousness of the Pharisee, of course. Um, and so why don't you just look at this illustration. So Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist the evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants, you, wants to sue you and take your shirt, and over your as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So let's look at this verses 38 to 42. If you could split it at some point, that would be great. Okay. Um, so let's look at the principle. What's Jesus Christ trying to say? What is Jesus Christ trying to bring back to their understanding? And so we're going to read a, a couple of scriptures here. Exodus chapter 21. I believe I have it there. Yeah, Exodus 21, um, 22 to 25. 
says, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. I want you to pay attention. But if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life. Eye for eye. You see where it's coming from, right? Tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Okay? Um, let's read another scripture. Leviticus 24, 19 to 20. It says, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Look at um, Deuteronomy 14, 21. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to the foreigner residing in your... Mm. That's not a scripture. Okay, I'll leave that out. But let's, let's, take, uh, let's take to... Let's stick to the first two. And if you go quickly to Exodus 21 and just look at um, verse 23. So, but there is, but if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, go to the nest. And to the nest. Okay, go back to Leviticus. I want to show you something. So it says, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. And verse 20 says, the one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Now, from the scriptures that we've read, what do you think Jesus Christ is trying to say? Revenge, okay. Any other thoughts? Sorry? Offender. Offended. Tim? Okay. 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 So, Jesus here is um, trying to refer back to an Old Testament practice that was God's design for justice. So, this is the point. The spirit of this law that the Pharisees have taken out of contest was for justice, not for revenge. So, there was an actual law that says eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, like we've read in Leviticus and Exodus, but the spirit of the law was for justice. The spirit of the law was not for revenge. So what had happened, now I'm going getting ahead of myself now because I'm supposed to tell you the principle, the perversion, and then the perspective. So the principle here is, now again, notice, go to my, my next slide. You notice that the, what's going on here is a judicial system. 
rather than personal retaliation. You know, when we, when we looked at last week about when you offend someone, someone has something against you, settle with him on the way quickly before he drags you to the judge. So there are the judicial system, right, where when you have a wrong against you, you take the person before the judge, and then they hear your matters, and then they decide who is right, who is wrong, and what is commensurate in terms of penalty, right? Now, so part of what God gave to them, you know, was this principle of, well, when someone should get the exact justice for what he's done. So the idea was God's provision for their um, judicial system to resolve issues amongst them, right? And so the principle here is that punishment must match the offense. If it's an I, then it should be an I. If someone's life is taken, then the life of whoever is taking life should be taken. Now, and of course, the principle of that is for God to read the society of criminals, of offenders, so that righteous people can have a peaceful environment. Now, that is valid. Now, if you are a doctor and there is a, there's cancer in a body, would you leave the cancer there or you would take it out? That's the principle here. This is God trying to create sanity in the environment or in the community of his people. And so God is saying, well, offenders should be punished. It's a judicial system rather than a personal restoration. That is the principle. And that people should not be overpunished for what they've done. Or, you know, in our, in our context, sometimes, you know, we feel offended or we feel upset when um, someone does something and they get two years imprisonment and someone else does something you consider same and they get 10 years and you're like, what's going on here? This isn't just. Now, this is exactly what God is saying to say, well, offense or penalty must match offense and this isn't talking to personal retaliation or jungle justice. This is talking to a system that's supposed to regulate their affairs, the civil affairs. I, I, I wish to together, do you get what I'm saying now? And so the perversion that's happened to this principle is that the people, the Jews, have gone ahead with eye for an eye as against it being a judicial system to be a personal retaliation. And so something like, Mom, you broke my leg. Let me know which leg should I break. You know, like, eye for an eye. So there's no story. Just, let's, just, let's just negotiate. Can I just... And it wasn't just that they, they reduced it or misinterpreted it to be personal retaliation. Go to the slide on perversion, illustration five. They went aboard... So basically, someone stole my chicken, and I'll just smash his whiskey. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So only, not only that they went into personal retaliation, instead of it being a judicial system guiding how the matters were resolved, they went aboard. You see, the human nature wants to retaliate, right? The human nature wants to give it back. You don't want to be the dumb person. You don't want to be the doormat. You don't want to be the one being taken advantage of. Someone, 
I mean, someone strikes you on the right cheek before the person recovers. You have, like, on both. You have, you have retaliated, not just on his cheek, but, you know, like, that is the human nature. So, so the perversion is that they, they swapped it, they misunderstand it to personal retaliation, and not just that, they were going aboard. I mean, I just cut you out on the road. It's not good to cut you out on the road, right? And basically, you just drove ahead of me, cut me down, brought out your wheel spanner, and just smashed my windscreen. How do, how do the two match? And so, the evil in, the, in people's hearts made them draw that law to the kind of conclusion that God did not intend it to be. And so Jesus came to set them straight and say, well, you need to get back to the spirit of the law. You see, what, the, what, the, what God permits the justice system to do, individuals cannot. So for example, the law, God, under God, the government can kill. Because rulers are ministers of God, the Bible tells us. They are there by God's design to maintain law and order so that we have a peaceful and a safe society. If there are no policemen who punish offenders, you and I will not be safe. And it is part of their, uh, their responsibility or civil responsibility under God for them to put behind bars a killer and kill him. Now, if a government kills... It is valid. It is righteous to kill. But that's not speaking to you and I. Does that make sense? So we cannot, we say this way, you cannot take the law into your hands. So people took it out of context, make it to be revenge. And because it's human nature to retaliate and even to go about, um, people were, you know, just allowing their nature to flow freely. And so let's look at Jesus' perspective then. So what did Jesus say to us here? He says not to resist. And Jesus says not just that you shouldn't resist, you, shouldn't, um, you should respond with a positive attitude. Again, Jesus going above the spirit of the law, or should I say above the interpretation of the Pharisees to say, I'm not just saying don't resist. I'm saying show love instead. I'm saying have a positive attitude. If we go back to those, um, con- those scriptures that we read. So Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, not just that you, you just rub your cheek and move on, just said, turn the next one. In other words, it's not just taking it, but it's it's not hating the person for it. If you look at all the examples, you see the idea of going a step further, not just being, not just being uh, passive in terms of receiving the wrong, but being active in terms of demonstrating goodwill. I don't know if you see what I'm saying here. So he says, if I t- let's go back to this. I said, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, he says, turn the other cheek. The next one, he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, 
if someone wants to, you know, wrongfully or rightfully, whatever the case is, take something. Now, you know, they, they wear shirt and they wear the upper coat, right? Now, Jesus said, now, the, the upper coat is deemed to be more expensive. Now, Jesus said, if someone takes your shirt, give the shirt, but give him the coat as well. Now, this is radical, right? This, isn't, this is counterintuitive. This is not something you and I want to do. And so the spirit of the law, so to speak, or the Pharisee approach would be, you want my shirt? Just take my shirt. But the day I get hold of your own shirt. So he obeys the law at that level just as an external, you know, okay, I've ticked the box. Ah, but today I will get your own shirt. That kind of a thing. So there is resentment to it. And Paul and Jesus is saying here that, well, beyond just giving the shirt, go the extra mile of giving your cloak as well. Look at the second example. I mean the third rather. It then says, if someone says, go with me one mile, go within two miles. Now I can't go into the historical background, but in this context, the Roman soldiers would like they are carrying down, and then they find a Jew. Obviously, Jew, Palestine was under Roman occupation at this time. And so they will find a Jew, and then just say, drag him, and just say, oh yeah, carry my, my armor a mile. Now, rather than resent the Roman soldier, Jesus is saying, he wants one mile. Help him one more mile. Remember the guy that took Jesus' cross? Something like that. The guy was just minding his own business. And Jesus couldn't carry the cross anymore and the Roman soldier just put it on the guy. That kind of scenario. A Roman soldier can just be walking past and, and just dumps his armor on you and, and drags you along. And Jesus said, well, you hate him for that. Right? But after the one mile, go with him. Two miles. This radical. This is not something I want to do. I don't want to be taken for a ride or for a fool. And Jesus is saying, well, this is how to love like I love. Where you show goodwill to the person that is not deserving. Not just that you condone or tolerate them, but you positively show them love. And look at the last one. It says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Has anyone borrowed from you and didn't return? And then he returns to borrow. And what's your posture? You're like, until you refund the one I gave you before, I'm giving you nothing. Now, that is normal. That's how I would react. But Jesus is saying something here. When someone wants to borrow, borrow him again. Now, what's the spirit of what Jesus is saying? You know, James chapter 1, verse 5, I believe. Um, it says, does anyone lack wisdom? It says, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and upbraided not. Do you know what that expression means? It means it gives and it keeps giving without finding fault. It doesn't say, the one I gave you yesterday, what did you do with it? Because the giving is from the giver, not a function of the receiver. 
What I'm doing is not because you're good or deserving or you're worth it, but I chose to because I am good. This is radical, guys. Let's read a scripture and then I'll, I'll leave that alone. Isaiah 53 and verse 7. Isaiah 53, I think I should have it on the side. Isaiah 53, 7. Do I have it? No. Okay, Isaiah 53, verse 7. Let's go to our Bibles very quickly. Isaiah 53, 7. And then Luke 23, 34. Isaiah 53, 7. Luke 23, 34. Quickly. Is anyone in Isaiah 53, 7? Yeah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Okay, so that's descriptive of Jesus, right? And his posture when he was being wrongfully punished, not for his sin, but for our sins. He went with the process. Now look at what Jesus said in Luke 23, 34. Anyone in Luke 23, 24, 34? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divide up his clothes by casting lots. Okay, so another instance of Jesus on the cross. Now, not just that he received the punishment and the blow, but do you see the extra amount? He prayed for them. So not that I receive it and curse them, but that you then go the extra mile of loving them. So repay no evil for evil, Paul says. Bless them that persecute you and wrongfully use you. Romans chapter 12. You see the extra mile. I'll leave that. Let me quickly touch on love your enemies. Illustration number six. Love your enemies, and then I'll close. Illustration 6. So what's the principle Jesus Christ is trying to make here? Let's go back to our text very quickly. Go quickly to Matthew 5. Read from um, 43, I believe. Go back to the text. Yeah. Go on, 43. Yeah, so you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your heavenly father, of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, you are, says, what reward will you get? Uh, not even tax collectors doing what? Now, remember, tax collectors here represent the worst of sinners in that time. So, if you love those who love you, you've not done anything beyond what an unbeliever would do, so to speak. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing what? That. And if you greet only those of your own, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So in other words, this idea is 
following God's example, doing what God would do. He's giving contest, says God causes his rain to fall upon the righteous and the wicked. His son to shout upon the righteous on the weekend. Now, if you are going to be like your father, you are going to love people, both the lovable and the unlovable. You are going to, and that is your enemy. Because if you love those who love you, what's the big deal? It makes sense, right? But being able to love those that hate you is what it is to be sons and daughters of your heavenly father. So what's the principle Jesus Christ is pulling out here? It's simple. Love people. White, black, tall, short, rich, poor, educated, literate. Uh, you see, I always say this, in the context of the church, we have like a good, a wonderful opportunity to practice this. We love one another. But beyond the church, we must love people. Unbelievers, gay, trans, regardless of who they are, what their orientation is religiously, what their orientation is sexually, what their orientation is politically, we are called to love people. And that's what Jesus Christ is bringing out here. Now, what's the perversion? Let's read a few scriptures, sorry. Deuteronomy 6, 5. So again, Jesus is quoting scripture to respond to this guy. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Right? That, you remember they asked him what the greatest commandment was, right? And this is what his response. Look at Leviticus 19, 18. I believe I have that. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, Jesus Christ is pulling these two scriptures from the, from the Old Testament and encouraging them to love their enemies, right? Now, the perversion... And this, so just saying that the principle or the spirit of the law is that you love people. But what's the perversion? Let's go to the perversion slide. You got it? So, no. Illustration 6. Is that? Further down. We're on illustration 6. Got it? Yeah. That's the principle. No, no, that's the perversion, so you can edit that. That would be my own mistake. So the perversion is that the Jews had the law, love your neighbor, love people, but then they concluded that it meant that they should love only fellow Jews and hate their enemy. Right? Because, of course, the law says, you know, love. And so their conclusion was, well, I'll love fellow Jews, I'll love my own people, and then I'll hate. Now, you remember when we, when we read Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there is no hate your enemy there. What we have there is love. Right? And so it was their addition to what God said. To say, I will love my people, and I will hate my enemy. And so, I want, to, I want us to read a scripture very quickly. Luke 9, 51 to 50, just to demonstrate one of those instances. Are you in Luke 9? Okay, I have it. So it says, as time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. 
But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples James and John saw him, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire or call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went into another village. So this was an instance where Jesus was with his disciples, like we have read, and they were going through the Samaritans, and they did not allow them passage. And the, 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 what James and John were going to do was to call down fire to destroy these guys. And Jesus rebuked them, saying, you don't know the kind of spirits that you are made of, because I have not come to destroy lives, but to save them. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So the Jews had this posture of, I love my neighbor, my own. They, they interpreted my neighbor to be my people. And, and in closing this morning, let's revisit that question, who is my neighbor? Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. So they always have this question, who is my neighbor? And we'll read this passage and then we'll finish. On one occasion, an expert in the law, we know we're talking about these expert guys, right? An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus asked him. He replied, how do you read it? I love this. What's your understanding of what is written in the law? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will leave. The problem is, who is your neighbor? You have answered, well, so, so verse 29, verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because he's been loving Jews all his life, right? So in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him off of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, a priest, a Levite, religious people, right? Went, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, remember Luke chapter 9 that we just read? They were going to pass through the town of the Samaritans. They were refused passage. They were going to call down fire. So Jesus used a Samaritan. And in fact, time will fail me, but the Jews and the Samaritan had, they, were, they don't see eye to eye. They were enemies, so to speak. So by Samaritan, as he traveled, came there or where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Let's, let's jump. Basically, took care of him, right? The next day, he took out the denarii. Jump, 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He didn't say the Samaritan. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus was trying to teach this guy who your neighbor is. And he used not someone that looked like him, not a fellow Jew, but someone who he considered an enemy, to drive on the point that you have restricted 
the circle of who your neighbor is and who should be loved to just your people. People that speak like you, that look like you, that attend your church. But this is the perspective. This is what the law is saying, to love people, whether they are Jews or non-Jews. This is the spirit of the law, that you will love people whether they come to your church or not. That you love people whether they are Christians or not. In fact, if they are your enemies, known enemies, love them. That is the spirit of the law. So widen the circle of your neighbor. Love, don't just tolerate. The extra mile. Love, don't just, so don't just bear with your neighbor, but pray for them. And let's finish by the last verse. This is the whole point, right? Verse 48, this is the whole point. Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. We read Ephesians 5 earlier. Be imitators of God as their children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. So what God's saying to us? Don't forget, the emphasis there is not what it is not saying. The emphasis at this morning is what is this trying to say to us? To love like Jesus would love. To be like our God. To be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world and the way we do it is not just to tick the box and just do the barest minimum but to go the extra mile to demonstrate the love of Jesus let's pray I don't know where this meets you this morning and I don't know what your posture has been but just say a quick, simple prayer, desiring that where you're falling short in this radical encouragement that Jesus has brought, that we might come to par at least. Are there people that you, you hate their gods? You, you can't stand them, whether in church or a neighbor or a colleague, and, and in your heart, you, you wish them ill and you just bear along, you just condone, just tolerate them. Would you ask the Lord this morning to do a work in your heart that will help you view those people like he views them? Because every unbeliever is a potential brother and sister in Christ. If we are missional in our mindset, if we are kingdom oriented, we will know. Jesus said, I will also go and every sheep that is not of this fold, I will bring them in so that they can be, so that they can be one shepherd and one flock. He sees them as people who are just temporarily lost that need to come home. And the way he wants to do it is to help us show them such incredible love that they might know that there is a God that cares and loves them. So this morning, let's just open our hearts and say, Lord, help me to, to love like you do, to see people from your lens and to show them love.
Father, we recognize that the things that your word challenges us with are not things we can do in our strength. And so once again, we lean on your spirit. And we ask that we might find strength by the supplies of your spirit to obey this scripture, not just as a, a tick box exercise, but that from the bottom of our hearts, we will love people like you do. Help us, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.